everyone. To the CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Monday, April the 1st. Virginia is still playing basketball, um, so we're obviously we're obviously going to talk about spring football. No, we're going to talk about the uh, overtime win over Purdue to uh, to take the South Regional and advance to the Final Four for the first time since 1984. Um, it was a heck of a night uh, in the Yum Center. Uh, another late game, a uh, <laughs> little bit of luck there for the Wahoos. Um, and uh, we thought we would have two shows this week. One where we're going to discuss this game and, and the meaning of going to the Final Four. And then later in the week, we'll get into preview in Auburn and what that matchup looks like uh, now, given you know what happened to, to the Tigers in, in, in the uh, uh, Midwest Regional and everything around them. And uh, we'll, we'll preview the weekend. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody up in Fishersville. David Spence is on the show. How are you, my friend? Pretty good, Brad. <laughs> Times are good, you know. Things could be a lot worse. Uh, who Dave's on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter. And up in Arlington, staff writer Justin Ferber also on the program. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Uh, I didn't have a heart attack. I'm still alive. We're we're here, ready to podcast. One hour and thirty minutes about the Oregon game. At Justin <laughs> underscore Ferber on Twitter. Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. All right, before we get started, uh, yes, Virginia did beat Oregon in a, I don't know, wasn't ugly, wasn't pretty, it just was, it was a thing that happened. All right, I want to talk to you guys first. I want to hear, like, I, I, I think most people probably uh, are more like you guys, but I'm curious to hear what it was like for you watching the game. There was some texting, not a whole lot, um, and frankly, I was busier than a, uh, you know what, Um what was it like for you, Ferber, watching this game? Were you, I mean, was your was your heart racing? Were you nervous? How did you feel throughout it? And what was it like right there at the end? It was a roller coaster of emotions, Brad. Um, nah, it was a uh, it was obviously like an amazing game. Um, probably just one of the best basketball games I've ever seen. If it had been Purdue in I don't know Maryland, I still would have been like, wow, this is freaking awesome, right? Um, I think the first half, you kind of right out of the gate, Purdue Purdue showed that they weren't going to just fold. You know, they hit a three on their first possession. They got a 10-point lead. UVA had to kind of get it together from there. Um, going into halftime down one, you felt pretty good just because they didn't play that great, and Purdue played really well, and uh, and they were still in the game. And then they came out guns blazing in the second half and, and ready to go. Uh, obviously, you know, most of the um, – remembrance from this game or, or things that will stick with people is what happened at the very end. But just watching Carson Edwards just put on an absolute show in the second half, willing them basically to stay in the game. And then UVA finding ways to just answer every time where I think a lot of teams would have just folded in that situation and, you know, not been able to keep up, but they were able to kind of like keep the pace. And, you know, at the end of the game, they made a few plays and uh, one really, really big play obviously um it was uh definitely the end of the game i I, i'll be honest with you i kind of knew that something weird was happening because i made the mistake during ty's free throws of refreshing twitter um and yeah i mean i I saw all the tweets where it was like oh my god oh my god oh my god because obviously tv's a little delayed (laughs) um but yeah you know obviously the play was insane and then the overtime was more insane than the score really gives it credit for but 
it was it was just a high level game and obviously you know watching UVA play at a slower pace you kind of get the feeling that every possession matters and that everything you know every little thing in the game is is huge and I think that this game was definitely like that throughout the entire second half and it's kind of hard to put into words like how crazy that it was you know throughout the game and just how high level of a game it was and obviously to come out on top was you know just the best feeling you could have as a fan right yeah i mean the the ending was amazing um i do think i died three or four times during the course of the night like (laughs) it was it was just an amazing game and there there reached a point i don't know when it was but there was a point late in the game where when Edwards kept hitting those shots, like I, if especially during the I think it was the seven zero run they had there to kind of take the lead and made it look like things weren't going to happen uh, for Virginia, and then when he hit the banker, and then we came down and turned it over. Like at that point, I was devastated, thinking this probably isn't going to happen tonight. Um, but because of how amazing Edwards is playing, I wasn't mad about it. I was I was hurt, you know, definitely was preparing for the devastation and I was going to feel for being that close and having to talk about for years, what Edwards did in that game. Um, so it, it was a little odd, it, you know, it's much better. I, I think in the future, if we ever go out, like that's how I want to, <laughs> want it to happen. Someone just yeah. having an otherworldly performance. Um, I mean, yeah, it felt like you go, it kind of went down swinging. That's how I felt at the end of regulation. And I was like, well, if they lose this game, at least they like fought and went down swinging and lost to a team that just outplayed them basically. But, or one guy that did. Yeah, I mean, he was he was sick. I mean, uh, yeah, I was kind of, you know, the way Justin was talking about the beginning of the game. I mean, Purdue was just hitting everything. Made seven of their first ten threes, I think it was. Um, but there was a part of me that was like, maybe this is a good thing because they're maybe they'll get reliant on the three. And history says you're not going to bake enough threes alone to beat a team. And that's kind of what happened. So in the long run, you know, Edwards hit a lot but they still missed a ton of threes. I think they started seven for 10 and then may were seven for their next 22, but made more threes and they made twos by a large, large margin, um, took more threes than they took twos by. A decent yeah. Margin. They, they set a record for most threes taken like percentage wise of all field goal attempts. I think it was like 60% of their shots were threes. Yeah. And it felt like it. And that, and that, a lot of that probably had to do with the, you know, obviously the way Virginia plays defense, but them also having success with that early. So, I don't know, but the ending, like, I know we're going to talk more about the way it ended as this podcast goes on, but um, jubilation. I mean, I had already kind of accepted defeat and was kind of trying to process it and saw that tip back, and then you kind of like, oh, maybe maybe we'll get a shot. And when Kihei threw that ball, like, I, oh, it will be one of my favorite moments forever unless they, they surpass that in the next two games. <laughs> it's so interesting to me like i i wrote this the column this morning and and you know hearing from people saying you know it kind of struck a chord with them that play i i don't want to say that it is the biggest play in the history of virginia sports um but if you think about the biggest plays the single biggest plays right so there's work done at the goal line you know you think of these plays the fact that this thing did what it did is in balance, not just with like how momentous the play itself, like what it did for the team, right? The fact that it that it only forced overtime. That's not, you know, it wasn't the game winner. And, you know, I understand that the guy from um, TBS or CBS who, you know, from that crew, 
he is <laughs> sort of mortified about having made the mistake he made because he did. He ruined. I mean, and I, this sounds ridiculous, but he did. I mean, it's a play that'll get played all you know over and over, and yet his his track is not the one you want because you know he ru- kind of ruins it. And there were so many people uh, who are watching that live um, who who for a moment at least were were told the wrong information or he's the way he said it because i mean he's tr- he was right they could have won it if they had hit a three yeah he thought they were going to shoot a three I, you could tell and then he just got carried and away he, and, and he said it at the time but that's yeah. part of but actually i think that underscores just how incredible uh kihei's pass was that the dude was basically thinking they're gonna have to set up for a long heave and yes somehow this little five foot seven and a half dude freshman in in easily the biggest game of his life throws a dime I mean an absolute dart on a frozen rope right half court I mean he, if he throws it anywhere else Momney can't can't get the shot off in time or he's, he's going to be impacted by harms I almost wonder if the pass was so perfect that that's why harms was able to not block it but it's not just the, it's a balance between the play itself and what it did even though technically it didn't win him the game right but it's also like against just how incredibly improbable it was like we remember Dre shot against Louisville, but what did that really mean for UVA, right? It 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 didn't put them into the Final Four or force overtime to put them in the Final Four, you know? This was, for all intents and purposes, I think the greatest play in the history of Virginia sports. Now, you know, we might be having a different conversation, you know, next week sometime um, based around some other kind of play. You know, I mean, at this point, you know, and, and I think this is a very – um, something we'll probably talk about in the second podcast this week, but basically the idea that like it's one thing to get there, it's another thing to be content with getting there. You know what I mean? But I just thought that, look, I, I was live, and I, I thought for a moment that they had won, and I had to snap myself back to reality. Um, but, I mean, for a team that was just so hungry, um, you know, Tony said it the day before, you know, he's at peace, but he's very hungry. I just thought that they did an incredible job of keeping their poise, even in those situations. After he banks in that three, that's when my that's when my heart, my my brains thought, okay, like it's just divine intervention. You know what I mean? It just felt like he'd been he'd been he'd been hitting shots all night that just had made no sense. I mean, well defended shots, and he's just he's just killing it. And then he makes that, and I'm like, dude, this is just not their night. And then it all turned around, like. <laughs> Very shortly thereafter, it just it still it continues to blow my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know. Like the reason I said, you know, obviously none of us will forget it for a long time. Um, when I think of Virginia sports history and single plays, most of them have been plays that defeated us. You know, um, like the touchdown at in Ann Arbor, the field goal in, in Texas in '95. Certainly, you know, the work done play was, was a positive, but you know, even more recently in football with Notre Dame and Louisville, like there's always been Virginia getting the rug pulled out from them at the end, right? Um, our moments of glory have been recently the Louisville comeback, um, and then the Wake Forest comeback a couple years before that. Um, yeah, Joe Harris's three to kind of like seal the ACC tournament a few years ago, maybe. Yeah, but it's yeah, nowhere. I mean, I mean like, miss I, that, you know, yeah. <laughs> but we're just... we're talking about a much different, like a grander scale, like. This is one of the, the – I don't know what we'll think 15, 20, 30 years from now, but my guess is that it'll go down as like a historic play in the history of the NCAA right. tournament. Yeah, I Not mean, just a big play for UVA. It'll be like – it's not yeah. going to have the cachet of the Leitner play, but it will be in montages 
forever. I mean, David Teal has covered like, I don't know, 35 of these things. And he said that basically this was the second best game to Duke, Kentucky in 92, right? I mean, which is really considered the best college basketball game like ever, played. ever, right, of all time, yeah. and, and one of the best sporting events of all time. And I'm not saying that <laughs> I'm not saying that UVA uh, Purdue is up there with the greatest sport, but I mean, just think about you. You know, that's exactly right. Like this thing will be played over and over and over. And when people think of the tournament, especially in this day and age, right, where you're going to have so many different angles of it, you know, um, so many different views, and it'll be. I just it was. I have had, I don't know how many days now, and my job is to like process this stuff and like put it into words. And I and I fire off this column this morning, and I felt pretty good about it. And I still feel like I've got two thousand more words just to say about the feelings of the moment. You know, I, I, I talked about keeping those three sheets of paper, but I also still have the audio track on my recorder and I'm not I, I delete these things when they're when I don't need them anymore I still have the audio track from UNBC from Charlotte uh, I can tell you exactly what time it was when he got to the podium I can tell you how long the kids were there I can tell you how long he was there I don't know what I'll do with it but I, I've, I've long thought that like there would be a redemption angle I did not have any idea that it would come together like this you know in such a dramatic fashion Rewatching it yesterday like seeing the Purdue fans in the stands and stuff like there were lots of them, but watching them and like their excitement after Edwards banks in that three and just knowing that in a few minutes, like you're going to get your heart absolutely ripped out. It's very yeah. interesting to be on the other side of that. Yeah. I mean, I think that, yeah, there you probably felt a lot of what UVA fans probably felt in that Syracuse game a few years ago. Really? I mean, you feel like it's right there for you. And honestly, like, uh, this is not meant to take away from anything UVA did or whatever, but I do kind of feel bad for them. I mean, that's a tough way to lose. And and it kind of underscores something that I've always felt, which is that – and Tony actually said it in his post-game press conference, and that's that you know, this game was obviously huge for his legacy and getting to the Final Four is a big milestone for him and important you know, for the you know historic view of his career, right, when he becomes a Hall of Famer or whatever. Um, but, you know – Coaches get a lot of the credit when things go well. They get a lot of the blame when things don't go well. But they have less control than really, like, it, people seem to think. Like, Matt Painter standing there, and he pretty much did everything right. I mean, like, he had the game pretty much there. And then a crazy tip play, a crazy pass, and a, you know, buzzer-beating shot. And then all of a sudden, you got to keep coaching, and then things didn't go as well. But that's what I'm saying. Like, if we'd been on the other side of that and we're talking about right now you know another collapse or a late game it, it's like there's at some point it's just it's a game and weird stuff happens and and all the losses that UVA's had in the in the past it's not always like some sort of referendum on the style or whatever sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce your way right um, I mean, if Duke wins yesterday, this one and done narrative that's been going around today isn't happening because people were like Duke overcame or Michigan State couldn't make enough plays to keep up. Like, you know, it's just that's the way it goes sometimes. But I mean, eventually, as we've talked about for years, if you keep doing things the right way, eventually you will get the breaks and get there. Yeah, no, I don't want to spend too much time harping on anything negative right now. So I'm just going to I'm going to make a quick point about it. <laughs> Okay. And I, I think uh, I, I can't remember if it was Justin I texted it to or or Brad or Walt, but you know, right when right before Ty went to shoot those free throws, 
I made the point that if this doesn't win, people are going to complain about Dre not being in the uh-huh. last few minutes. Yeah. Um, so thank God it didn't because I'd hate to be dealing with that right now. Um, but instead, you know, Tony all of a sudden can coach now. And, you know, he's always been a good coach. And he has a – to me, um, and I know I've texted you guys this, but to me this this run so far has been a perfect illustration of – what what you need to do with your roster if you don't have four three or four NBA All Stars you know NBA first round picks on the roster, and that's have versatility where you can match up. And that's something Virginia hasn't had in the past. They've been a little too one dimensional. And you think about the one thing Virginia was missing coming into the postseason was a consistent inside th- scoring threat. Unless their guards were able to touch the paint or Dre was able to box out. But with the emergence of Mamadi through a little bit in the ACC tournament and in the first four games, now you Virginia's been able to score inside when the outside shots aren't shots aren't working, and the versatility and Mamadi's play on the defensive end that's allowed you to keep him on the floor for such an extended period of time compared to where he was even you know beginning of the season. You add that with the fact that Jack is such a team player and has let his minutes go and then showed up and played as well as he did. We were down like 10 points when Jack came in. Um, Virginia outscored them the rest of the way by, what, 12 or 13. And Jack played almost every minute the rest of the game, which if you had told me going into that game that Jack Salt and Mamadi would play a lot together, I would have been very surprised that they had the success they did. So it was amazing the versatility they showed with, you know, Dre having – not a terrible game, but an off game for a guy of his caliber. Yeah, I mean, you even, during the game, I remember you were kind of like, why is Salt playing? Like, why this can't last long? And then I remember at one point you said, like, oh, well, actually, this is working, right? Yeah. It yeah, was exactly. like, this is actually good, you know? Um, and then they just kind of rolled with it. But I think that, and it's just one play, it's a great play, but um, I do think that, I mean, I don't know what it'll mean again. I don't know what this will mean to UVA fans 10 years from now, but... I think it was fitting for now, at least, that the play to the play that people will remember was key. Hey, to Mamadi, right? We talked about before the tournament started how big the role players are going to be, and you know what they would have to do to get UVA over the hump. But those two guys, and especially Key Hey, just because of all of the, you know, I can't tell you how many times my Twitter mentions have been filled up with this is the wrong lineup, and this shouldn't be the lineup, and this should be it should be Key and Huff and not Salt and and Key Hey. Um, and I understand where people are coming from, right? You're, you're worried that there's not going to be enough offense out there, but that dude, and we talked about it a little bit last week. He just, he, he gets after it. He's a basketball player. He's just good. Like he's not, he doesn't have the best shot in the world. He's not the biggest guy. Um, he's still figuring things out in some ways, but he played as about as good a defense you can on Carson Edwards. And I mean, he didn't get the best end of it always, but the the process was there even when the results weren't obviously the one play he made at the end was amazing but he also i mean we're not going to talk much about Oregon but if he doesn't go, come alive in that Oregon game they we're we're talking about you know what's wrong with UVA how are they going to fix this next year right he if without him they don't win that game so i think that you know Tony knows what he's doing is what i'm trying to say like i didn't necessarily i didn't really understand the Kihei Clark recruitment when it happened, I was like, I understand that these smaller kind of quicker guards can help you in ways if you don't have that on your roster. But 
I was kind of thinking like, man, you know, it seems like they're just trying to take one. I mean, he's committed to UC Davis. He's really small. Like, I don't know if he's going to be able to get. I, I remember at one point I even said, if this guy turns out to be good, then I will never question anyone that Tony Bennett ever <laughs> recruits ever again. And and I will. I will not. I'm not going to do it. So at least not publicly. People <laughs> can get the receipts. Yeah. The, they scored a 1.356 points per possession. In an Elite Eight game. That just still blows my mind a little bit. Purdue scored 1.22 in a loss. I know. It, it, that's the, yeah. <laughs> what I find super interesting, right? The whole, you know, the whole joke about, you know, find you somebody who can do both. Like for Virginia to loot, to win a game as ugly as it was, you know, on Thursday night and then to go around and win this thing, you know, score 80 points to, to, to get you to the Final Four. I think the other thing for me, look, I, I can't really stress this enough how much of a home game this was for Purdue. Like, credit to the UVA fans who made the track wherever you came from, you were loud. And I'm not trying to, by any means, diminish your uh, contributions to the cause. Okay, I'm, I'm really not. Dude, it was like the place was full of, like, Purdue minions, right? I mean, they were everywhere. And there were several times when Carson Edwards would just hit one of these shots that these people were having the absolute time of their lives, right? And, like, it, it's funny how, like, after so many heartbreaking losses and things like I'm, I came away from this just not just not just thankful, you know, that UVA was, you know, glad, you know, to had to had the win and, and was able to figure it out. But like knowing what it was like on the other side, you know, like I, I, it, I, I can't stop thinking about just how awful of a beat that was for them. I mean, this dude goes out. I mean. I mean, I've just, I mean, look, all the guys on the podium, like, could not stop talking about the game this kid had. Now, granted, he took 25 of his team's uh, 55 uh, attempts, right? 19 of his 25 attempts were from three. He made 10 of them, okay? He went 14 of 25 from the field and made 10 threes. He scores 42 points. He played 44 minutes. Um, the kid, the kid shot was, he scored 42 points. He was minus five. That's crazy to me, right? Like he was <laughs> he is. was minus five. He scored forty two. Nobody else on his team scored in double figures. The closest yeah. they got was two dudes had seven. Like, and not to mention, as crazy as Carson Edwards was, the fact that that he was literally their entire like Ryan Klein after what he did to Tennessee, he went two for seven. It was two yeah, or five he came out and threes. made the first shot of the game and then didn't really do much. And he was and, and he, he was basically non existent from then on, you know? Yeah. Um I thought that I mean it's crazy that I'm sure people have seen the press conference and stuff, but you know you 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 make that great play, but then you know at the end of overtime UVA kind of botched the play, like they were supposed to foul, and Kihei didn't foul, and then Kyle admitted that he kind of let Klein go, so if he caught that he would have got a clean look, you know. Um, that was the one thing that Purdue did that I kind of thought was was dumb was you know not just I mean if I'm if I'm that painter I'm like look they might foul you like I get it but. We're going to go down with you shooting it, whether that means, you know, you have to pass it to Klein and get it back to him. I don't know, but you got to try to get that guy a look. But I think, honestly, the reason they drew that up was because they were saying they're going to try to foul you before you get the shot off so you can't tie it. Let's try to get a pass and then, you know, see if we can get a good shooter to get a shot off. Yeah, I don't think they were going to foul. I don't think UVA was going to foul because I remember. He said they told him to foul. Well, I remember Kyle walking out there saying no fouls. And I remember thinking, oh, man, they're not going to foul. Why would you not he foul? Said, he said after the game that he was supposed to – that Kihei was supposed to foul and he didn't and that he let Klein go because he was expecting the foul. And okay, then, that's fair. 
Yeah, so I think he might have just been yeah. saying that to throw Purdue off or something. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, because you can see Kihei I thought it was about fouls him, and I think what I think the reason Kihei didn't foul him is because he passed. He was like, oh, like he wasn't expecting yeah. him to do that. I think Painter expected us to do the trap again. Yeah, because you know Edwards had kind of come up the same sideline and dribbled towards the top of the key and gotten trapped and turned it over a couple times at the end of regulation. And I really think if you watch the way Edwards reacted when he got over half court, their plan was to fake inside, go out, and then hit Klein as Kyle yeah. came to. to I trap. mean, we could see on TV like Painter's drawing it up on the board, like he's drawing up the screen. And I was like, oh, they're going to run a screen for somebody else. But I thought maybe like he was going to try to get it back to Edwards or something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, whatever. It was. It was. Virginia's, <laughs> whatever. Virginia's do a little bit, right? Um, I mean, it was such a clean game overall, too. I mean, you think about. I don't know what the final turnover total was. Virginia had one in the first half. They had five in the game. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it is without a doubt, like, maybe I'm forgetting something, but I cannot think of a single better offensive performance from a Virginia team in the last couple of years against a very good opponent. Like, we've seen it against Harvard and some other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's, I think that's one of the things. That's how crazy good Edwards was. The fact that Kyle Guy scored 21 points in the second half he was just – if you're a Purdue fan, you're thinking if we could have shut Kyle God down, we won that game. Right. You're probably not going on and on yeah. about how great Edwards is. And we haven't even mentioned it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it just, yeah. I mean, and he, you know, he was cold beforehand. And, and, and Ty and 24. Not to mention, he looked like he may shots. have broken his ankle at the end of the first half. Yeah. Um, that's what I watched the game again yesterday and was like, oh, man, I forgot about this. Oh, and then there's another moment where you're like, oh, man, I forgot about this play or this, this thing that happened because – and that's that's kind of the thing that um, maybe I mean as if you were like an impartial observer of that game, Brad, watching at courtside, you would have been witness to a one of the greatest college basketball like NCAA tournament games ever played, right? Like uh, it was very cleanly played. It was it was not clunky really at any point. Uh, it was intense. The stakes were high. The the fans obviously very into it. The fact that it was UVA just kind of elevates it. But I mean. It was like a. I mean, the other there were two other, or there was one other Elite Eight game that went to overtime, and the other two were very close. And if you watch those games, the Texas Tech game was was okay. The Auburn Kentucky game was not a good game. It was just close, right? You saw a really really good game that happened to go to overtime. It was just like a really well played game. Yeah, I mean that's the yeah. thing too that sticks out to me is I, I have it scribbled. So so Kyle rolls his ankle at two oh nine in the first half. At that point, he had two points, but excuse me, four points, a, a jumper and two free, two of the three free throws. And he doesn't score anymore in the first half. My dude comes out, buries the first two threes of the second half, hits a third three minutes later. And I mean, and they were rolling. I mean, by that point, man, they've they've wrestled lead. They've they've gone up seven, um, which I believe their largest lead was eight. Yeah, they led 48-40. 48-40 after the Jerome the three. Well, all right, pause. You know what's crazy? Ty Jerome scored 24 points. Right. right. He, yes, he my did. Dude, my dude went. He had my, four threes. He, had, well, he also attempted 10. He had he had 24 points, seven assists, five boards, uh, and, and we haven't – we're what? How long, I don't know how long we are into this thing. And he and we haven't talked about him at all. Like that's how nuts this game was. To Ferber's point, like it was so it was such a clean game. It happened. I mean, like stuff is just there's just so much. There's just so much of this game, right? Yeah, there was how a, many points did, after half to, at halftime? Mominy had was the leading scorer, right? 
Uh, yes. Yeah, like 10 or something. Two, and four, he had two points six, the rest of the game? Eight. <laughs> well, Ten. he definitely had two in the he second He definitely half. had two. I can, I can tell you that. Yeah. No, he had, he, had two, overtime. he had two He had two free throws, two uh, free throws at the 14-34 after coming out of the under-16. Well, I mean, Ty had a play in overtime. I think Purdue scored first, right? And in then, yeah. Yeah, and so I this is another one. Like, you forget how crazy this game was. There was a play where the shot clock was running down, oh, down too, and he like crossed the guy up and barely got off like a runner, and it went in. And I and, was like, "How did he make that?" Yeah. And then watching it again, I was like, "How did I not remember that this happened?" Like, it, and like, it was like the one. It was that the one that was like super high off the window. Yeah, yeah, he, but he, he shot it like Granny style. Yeah, he kind of <laughs> shot it like from a really weird angle, so it wouldn't get blocked. And it was like at the shot clock buzzer too. Um, it was just a crazy, crazy game. And then there were like some blocks in there that were huge. Um, I mean, even Purdue had a few like, oh my God, what just happened sort of plays in the game. Yeah. But, I mean, Diakite had four blocks. And that was all of UVA's four. Uh, Harms had three and Wheeler had the one. And uh, yeah, it, it was just such a good game, man. I always say, like, uh, you know, the, the one, not always say, uh, the one thing that caught me off guard is when I was watching. When it happened live, I was jumping up and down after Mamadi hit the shot. And then for a second, I'm like, wait a minute. Was that often, Tom? Right. So I like paused. Oh, no, that was the very first thing I thought. I was like, oh, because I like I said, I saw the tweets and I was like, well, they wouldn't have seen the replay yet. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, the first thing I thought was, I don't think he got it off. Like, because it was very, very close. Um, But then on the replay, he clearly did. And I was like, all right, cool. We got five more minutes. Let's go. Yeah. And but what cracked me up was it the camera zoomed to some Purdue fans who just are chuckling. Yes. Yeah. And the yes, one guy, the guy what the yeah. And the one guy like, yeah. like puts his hands through his hair and they're laughing. They're like, Oh my gosh, how many, how many, you uh, know a game is good, right? How <laughs> many field goal attempts you think Purdue had in, the, in overtime? Not many. Yeah. They turned it over a couple of times. Yeah. Carson Edwards had the one that hit off his knee or whatever and went out of bounds. Um, then they had the one at the end, obviously. But yeah. five, so, the re- more than, so the reason I'm Virginia asking like is, is that in the first half, Purdue shot 40% from the field. Okay. In the second half, Purdue shot 62% from the field. All right. In overtime, 33%. They were two for six, right? They had two turnovers. Virginia in the second, in, in, excuse me, in overtime, right? Cavaliers went two for four. So that's 50%, which I understand. Like sometimes when you have limited numbers, it, it's, it's oversized, right? But it just—it's just striking to me that Virginia was able to to score six points in the last 28 seconds. I understand some of them were at the free throw line, but that Purdue basically scores two baskets in all those five minutes, right? After absolutely cooking for a half, you know what I mean? Like, it—it's it, one of those times where, like, when Virginia forced overtime, you had to think Virginia was going to win, right? The momentum was clearly, you know, on UVA's side. And to their credit, the fact that you know they get harms a bucket. Uh, inside to to go up 72 70 first first play of overtime um edwards scores that uh he had a little uh, bucket on a drive with yeah, nice four to put the them back up one and then virginia scores the next six points right the deandre the two dr- the the drive and i mean let's go back to dre for a second because listen i i don't disagree with time I mean, and if and if the thing they had lost and that's what we're all talking about today is that, you know, Tony Bennett can't coach because he had his lottery pick sitting on the bench for so many minutes. Um, in this game, Kihei Clark, <clears throat> excuse me, plays 24 minutes. Um, and DeAndre Hunter only plays 37. Everybody, all the other starters are at 42, 45, 42, and then Salt played 34. But the two bigs thing was working, 
Kyle and Ty are just shooting the lights out. And Kihei, he was a better was a better guard on on Carson. I mean, Dre's length did not compensate for his his lack of quickness. Virginia's best option was Kihei. And I think yeah. Tony made the right decision. I understand you, you look, anybody who watched that game, you could tell Dre was frustrated. Now, whether he's frustrated with his lack of playing time or not playing, at least let's just let's let's flip that. Frustrated not playing in certain spots, or if he was frustrated with himself, the one that goes off his leg, and he's—I mean, his body language told a lot. For him to come back, well, one for UVA to to call the play for him to go and make it—that was as aggressive and as assertive as he's been all postseason. Now, maybe that's a—that was a stupid hard layup too. And he, yeah, I'm it wasn't sure, as easy fouled. as it wasn't as easy as I thought watching it live. I thought he just kind of got to the rim, but he had to kind of go around and then try not to get blocked. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a high hook shot. Yeah, and 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 tough. I thought and I thought he had he played through the contact. I mean, that was easily as assertive and aggressive as he's been, and he was just not going to be denied. Now, whether that's a flash in the pan or that's something that Virginia can look to this weekend, I'm not sure. But in that moment, it was exactly what his team needed, and he delivered it. Credit yeah. to him. I mean, like that's not an easy spot to be in, right? When you when you when you're basically sitting on the bench watching the team, and and I mean, granted, I mean the kid is having. Carson Edwards is out there just, I mean, like I said, he's got a flamethrower on his shoulder, you know? And I mean, anything he throws up there, it was like NBA jam, dude. It was like, it was incredible. It was so incredible that like, there was nothing you could point to, you know, like defensively, like there was nothing else to do. Like the dude is just throwing heaters and (laughs) I can understand being frustrated sitting on the bench watching because you wanted a chance to, to do something about it. But for him to come through when he was called on, I mean, not just that, he hit a couple of free throws in overtime as well uh, in the, with a minute 43 to go. So, I mean, it's not like any – like all of these guys had to play through some sort of adversity. You know, Dave, I think it was Dave who mentioned earlier, Jack Salt, he's play, he played like, what, 10 minutes all of the tournament, comes in and plays 34, and they needed every one of them. I mean – yeah. It was incredible, dude. I, 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 you could give me seven hours of a podcast, and I wouldn't be able to, to, to really cover the entirety of this thing. Yeah, I think that yeah. one of the things that kind of I didn't realize until I went back and rewatched it was how much UVA dominated on the glass. Um, that's not something they were expected to do either. I mean, Purdue's got a seven-three center and a bunch of other big physical guys that can play in the post. And UVA had 17 offensive rebounds. 17 offensive rebounds for UVA. What? Jack Saul had five. He had five of them. That's right. Second. Right. And it was it was just like you didn't really and then I went back and rewatched it. It was like, man, they had a lot of tip-ins, like second chance tip-ins. Yeah. That I didn't really realize. Kyle had like one huge offensive yeah. rebound put back in the first half. Um, Dre had another. Yeah. Dre had a tip in. Jack had a tip in, and it was like, man, they are they. Are, and then obviously, like the play, Mamadi made at the end. I guess that counts as an offensive rebound, right? So, yeah. Um, <laughs> when was the uh, when was the possession where Virginia had three shots? I think it was and failed to score. That was that, that late was, overtime it was, or late it was, regulation? It was late in regulation before Edwards banked in the shot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That seemed like a chance for Virginia to go up and kind of put it away, and they, they got multiple like attempts. Yeah. They were up like 67-66 or whatever. It was yeah, it was 67-66 UVA after Ty made the two free throws. Then they come down, they can't get it and that's when he comes down and makes it with a minute and nine left. So that two minutes basically. Yeah, they got three shots at it and didn't get anything. And that was the one that ended with Kyle trying to drive and taking this weird yeah, shot. Tie. Oh, it was a tie. Yeah, yeah trying he tried to drive to like and put up like a runner on one leg and he got blocked. 
And it was just like a weird, but yeah, it, that was the worst shot of the possession too. Yeah. Because yeah. I think they had like a three that they missed and then it was like another pretty clean look that they missed. And then that one. So they were eight. They had an eighteen to ten advantage in second chance points, and in a and in a game like this, I know eighteen to ten doesn't sound like a big deal. That's a big deal. You know what I mean? Like you had you had you know what? Um, I'm trying to find it. Seventeen to eight offensive rebound advantage. You were good enough on the boards. Thirty nine, thirty one. I mean that you were able to turn that you turned eight extra points, and then your points off turnovers was was basically negligible. Ten to seven. I mean. Dude, it's just it's so crazy to me that that Virginia a team that doesn't attack the offensive glass, that doesn't play fast, that that doesn't score 80 points most games, right? In order to get to the final four it had to be sort of unlike itself. And played and played for in stretches with its lottery pick on the bench. Like Yeah, and, and it was like they basically had the Duke game and JPJ happen to them and they still won. Like Yeah, that's a really good point. They, they basically went, had they yeah. went from they went from first in the country in three-point defense to third. In just that one game, <laughs> like that's, that's, nuts. that's crazy. how ridiculous that yeah they went to they dropped the third like how crazy is that? So I, 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 there was something I thought of like as the game was ending, it probably helped Virginia because the lineup that was most effective was probably Kihei, Ty, Kyle, Mamadi, and Jack, right? Um, and Mamadi obviously Jack hasn't played a lot of minutes. I don't think he played more than a minute or two in Oregon at all, if at all. Um, at some point, like five minutes into the second half through maybe five minutes to go, Purdue's offense, even though it was scoring, they got kind of stagnant. It was just Edwards making stuff happen. So if you weren't guarding Edwards, you got a chance to rest yeah, on defense that's a good point. because the guys were standing there. And I want – like there's a part that hit me like that's probably why Jack could go 34 and play with the ferocity he can. You combine that with the 18-minute TV timeouts you get and you get a chance to rest. But yeah. It was one of the easier defensive guys for the guys not guarding Edwards. You know, they did a remarkable job kind of playing the the high ball screen up top, uh, especially when Jack came in because they had two bigs to put size there. But for the most part, there were multiple possessions where Edwards dribbled down and took a shot from, you know, five or six feet behind the three-point line. And while it resulted in points, it also was a quick blow. And I think that's why Virginia was able to be so efficient on offense. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, they did have those two turnovers, Purdue, back-to-back possessions where they try to, like, throw cross-court passes. So, I mean, like, they kind of stopped scoring there for a little while. UVA just couldn't really capitalize on it until the very end. But, yeah. To, to Today's point, so uh, one, two, three, three field goals for Purdue going into the under-16. Edwards goes for those those three threes in a row starting at the 13-42. All right. From that point on, he's, he hits a three, hits a three, hits a three. Williams scores inside. Edwards scores on a jumper. A hunter kid hits a tr- bucket in transition. Edwards scores. So that's over just about six minutes of game time, right? Six, seven field goals. Edwards made all but two, right? So you're, you're right. Nobody's yeah. scoring. And meanwhile, Virginia is very balanced. You know, there's Dre, there's Ty, there's Jack on a tip in, there's Kyle for a three. Like, they were there was a lot of sharing of the load on one side and just the Edwards kid just being a freak of nature on the other. And you're probably yeah. right. There was probably some little benefit that they got of, you know, kind of watching and standing around a little bit. And really, if he hadn't made all those shots, I think they probably would have gotten real. Like, I don't want to say they would have gotten blown out, but they probably would have lost by like 12. Like, I think UVA was playing at such a high level that if Edwards had missed like 
the second of those four threes or whatever it was or two of the three. I don't think – I mean, UVA was playing at a level I don't think they would have been able to keep up with. Yeah. Because they were up, they went from down one to up eight real quick. Like, <laughs> And then it was like – and then they kind of chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. But UVA kind of kept the lead for most of that time. Like, Yeah, that's the crazy yeah. thing is is Edwards is hitting these shots. But like so so he – so the first of those threes, 13-42, he makes it a five-point game. Well, then Jerome hits a three. So Edwards responds. Well, then Salt scores on a tip in. So then it's a seven point lead, right? He hits another three. Kyle Guy responds with a three. Williams scores inside. Edwards scores on a jumper. That cuts it to three going into the under 12. But he's going nuts, and they can't really make up a whole lot of ground. In those few minutes, like they were able to what? Cut it to cut it by, you know, one possession? Like, yeah. And that's what happened to them in the Syracuse game. I mean, they uh Malachi Richardson basically went on a run like that, but UVA didn't score any points. Exactly. Like, Malachi just... Richardson, because I have those trusty three sheets of paper now that I let that cat out of the bag. He hits a three. Tyler Lydon hits a three. Uh I don't know who G is. Somebody hits a bucket in transition. Then Richardson Benichet. hits a Oh yeah, it's probably what it was. Then uh Richardson scores on a drive. Richardson hits a three. Richardson scores on another pull-up. All right. That's a 15 to nothing run in like four minutes and change. They went from down six to up six in a hurry. Right. And UVA, if they had just scored like seven points, like you know, even if they got outscored 15 to seven or 15 to six, they would have been all right. Yeah. They went from the 733 mark to the uh, 149 without a field goal, without anything. No points because Devin went to the line at two thirty three and missed the front end of a one and one. Yeah, but I think we probably do need to mention before we end this at some point, like you know, the big picture, like what it was like to see Tony win it and how excited. I've never seen him that like emotional. Um, and he always talks about how he doesn't need this sort of stuff. Like he has a good perspective and and you know he has things that are important to him and. He's always said that, like, you know, after the UMBC loss, he knew he'd be okay. But, he, you know, maybe he didn't need it, but he definitely looked like a guy that wanted it really bad. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, that that scream he let out, which is really interesting because he cuts the net, he turns, you know, and then, and then like, it's like the cheering from the yeah. people sort of, like, allowed him to have the freedom to, like, see it, and then he just let it go. You know what I mean? Yeah, I thought I mean, it was we've really We've seen him cut human. nets down. We've seen him cut nets down plenty of times, and usually he's just kind of like, you know, hey, here's the net. Here's you the nets, you know, shaking a wave. Like yeah. Right. Not, Not this time. time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've said numerous times, like, Tony's gracious, but if you don't think he wants to eat your heart out on the basketball court, then you're fooling yourself. And I think that's what you saw. But I do respect the fact that, you know, he wanted, you know, it wasn't about look at me. I mean, he talked about the kids. And even right there in that moment when he can be like, this was a huge thing, it's great for our program. Even then, he kind of took it back a step and says the only reason this matters is because that matters. Um, you know, I don't want to go in the long quote, the, the his dad's quote he he get, but it like that stuff is that that moment like ten years to the date when he was hired was so big for me. Like you know, I'm, I'm getting older, so that kind of stuff matters to me now. I've got my own kids. You've got your own kids, Brad. You know, you know what it's like. Like things are different. You know, you understand legacy and wanting to make people proud and just the way he carried himself, obviously, win or lose, we, we can be proud of that. But the fact that the good guy gets to win in a game that's been dominated by cheat and scandal for the last whatever number of years, um, you know, instead of, you know, I'd much rather the spotlight get shined on a, a guy like Tony Bennett than, uh, I won't name names because we might end up playing some of them, but you know, there, there's guys who, who get the spotlight. <laughs> 
the fact that Tony had to get such negative light shined on him, I mean, light shined on him for such negative reasons last year. The fact that I understand maybe it's not fun that Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina are not in the Final Four, but Tony gets to kind of be the story of this Final Four, which is so amazing. Like, and, and probably helps helps make your ticket a little bit cheaper. But I mean, Tony is the best story here, right? It's not Zion. It's not. You know, Chris Beard had a great has a great thing going to Texas Tech. I don't think anyone wants to give Izzo a lot of spotlight because there's some stuff going on at Michigan State. Yeah, that we don't, don't know look too don't start. look too close at what's going on. Yeah, there. don't look too close. Yeah, yeah. We, we fired him, um, and then the Bruce Pearl's got a few skeletons there. Um, so it's just it's kind of nice that thinking about where we were a year plus ago to where we are now, and the only thing that's really changed is the outside perception. Yeah, that's very true. I want to. We're forty some minutes in, so I want to. I want to wrap up on this. Because, and like I said, we're going to come back later in the week and, and really preview Auburn and talk about that. I want to get to your feeling, right? The game is over. Virginia is going to the Final Four. What was that feeling like for you, Ferber? Um, you didn't cry, right? No, no. Um, I think honestly, like it was for one. You know, they they still have two more games to win. You know, I think that it was cool to see this, and obviously it's very, very important. And it's hard to explain to non-college basketball fans I've learned over the last few days. They're like, so this wasn't the championship game, but people are <laughs> celebrating like they – and it's like this is big for his legacy to get to the semifinals. It's like it's hard to explain, like, how, how that's different than other sports. But um, I would say relief, but I feel like that's not nuanced enough. Um I think it was just like oh, I was kind of overwhelmed by what I had just seen. Like, I mean, I was—I'll put it this way: like, it didn't seem like it was really happening until it was over. Like, they were up eighty to seventy-five after Kihei makes the free throws. At that point, mathematically, they really can't lose, right? And I'm sitting there saying, "No fouls, no fouls," like, because it still felt like, "Oh, well, this game's not quite over yet," right? It just. I don't know. Um, it felt like it felt like surviving uh, like the biggest test ever, right? It just felt like uh, they had finally overcome something that seemed so. And it's crazy how like this is kind of a weird tangent, but um, you know, as a kid rooting for this team and going to games, I never really thought of this as like a realistic goal. Um, I kind of thought, you know, getting to the tournament was basically like our final four, right? Um, just getting in there. And if you won a game or two, that's great. Sweet 16, that would be great. Maybe you pull off like a miracle sort of run to the final four, maybe once, right? And the fact that it's like they should have already done this is kind of the way people feel. It's, it's weird to me, but um, I would say – Overall, just really happy for the players and the coaches. Um, getting to know them a little bit throughout the process of this is they're all good kids. And I know that Purdue's got good kids too and other teams, but um, I think that it means a lot to them to to be the, the team that broke through for their coach and for their, you know everything that they've been through. I think it just was – it was like a feeling of like just calm, I would say, probably just relief almost. Dave, you having yeah. been uh, a UVA fan for 
uh, longer than the two of us. A lot longer than y'all been born. <laughs> what was it like? Yeah, man? I don't even know. Like those those games that he was talking about, that the the plays that happened to UVA. I'm like, what is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're 12, right? <laughs> who, who's work done? <laughs> what was it like? I mean, like it was crazy, man. Like, you know, I've tried to knew we we're doing this tonight, and I was trying to figure out how to explain it, and I don't, I, I don't think it's po- you know it's possible for a non-fan to understand like, you know, it's going to, we all have our, our reasons and our, our emotions and our reactions to this game. But for me, it was, it was not what I thought it would be. Um, and some of that had to do with the way it played out. I celebrated making the final four more during the Syracuse game than I did during the Purdue game. Cause there was, a t- there was so much time in that game where it looked like it was happening. Right. And, only brief moments during the Purdue game did you get the sense it was happening. It was possible. And most of them were in, you know, quickly deterred by Edwards hitting a three. Or it was during the 2.9, 1.1 seconds or whatever it was between us inbounding the ball following their turnover and Kihei getting to the free throw line. So there wasn't a whole lot of time to digest it before you wanted to consume everything that was happening on the screen. So it was, it took a moment, like it happened and I was there, but it happened so quick and so abruptly that I kind of had to gather myself. And, um, I didn't really know what to say. Like I called, I called Brandon and Walt who were watching the game together in Richmond. Um, and we all just screamed on the phone, like just stupid, loud, like barbaric screams because we didn't know what to say. We didn't know how to put it in words. Um, for me, like I'm older than you guys, so I, I was six when Virginia made the Final Four in '81. I don't remember it. Like I remember it looking back in the history books, but I don't remember that anything about it. Um, I think I was living in Boyden, Virginia at the time. I'm pretty sure we didn't even have TV. Uh, you know, we had good TV at the house, so I may not have watched. I remember being there, but I don't remember watching anything else. Um, I was nine when they made it in '84. I was living in Wilson, North Carolina, which was the year after NC State had won the title, right? So no one really gave a crap about Virginia watching it that was in my class. So it was a moment for me as a, as a fan in the Virginia house, but it wasn't when I could remember. So I think I texted you guys about it. But for me, what we did in 95 was always kind of my reaction, you know, my, my fallback point for where this program could be. Well, we made the Elite Eight in 95. We're not terrible. So when a Duke fan came at me in the early 2000s about us beating them and haven't done anything, well, we made the Elite Eight in 98. I mean, you know, uh, sorry, late eight ninety five. Um, so the fact that we're here now and doing it the right way in an era where it's not being done the right way, doing it with a coach that very few people were excited about getting hired ten years ago to the day, to the ten years to the date, to having Ralph Sampson in the stands watching the game when he was for a long time away from the program, um, I did cry, like, but it wasn't right at the end of the game. The moment that got me is like after like I was screaming on the phone with Brandon and Walt and I turned and the camera caught Ralph Sampson with his eyes watering. And I don't know why, like that got me. I was like, if it means that much to him and you know, it, it just the whole thing, just, I couldn't, I, I couldn't take, I, I don't think I went to sleep until four thirty. I watched the game again after I finished calling and texting everyone. Um, and it's a moment I'll never forget. And you, you know, you're right. There's, there's more games to play, but 
it just sometimes a good guy needs to be rewarded. And it feels like that's what happened here. And being a fan of that program that has listened to the media and listened to the people, the fact that it took the team that's too boring to watch had one of the best NCAA games of all time, whether you like offense or defense, both of them were in that game being led by the coach that was so gracious and the worst defeat ever being so amazing in victory and not putting the spotlight on himself, like referring to his dad a lot, letting his dad kind of take the spotlight. His dad had more interview time than he did. Like just shows the kind of guy he is. And it's such a proud moment as a fan like there's no way you can be embarrassed by that, even if they don't lo- win another game. Like it, it validates what we've seen, and we'll just go back to dominating the regular season and see what happens in the the next NCAA tourney. But I guarantee you, like it, it'll be a moment I tell my kids about. My kids are six and nine, the same age as I was when Virginia last made the Final Four. Um, I hope they don't have to wait 35 years to see another. But if they do, like this one is such a, a remarkable one to even be a part of at that age. I, uh, I'll, I'll fly us home on this. I'm, I'm not going to go in too deep because I am an emotional type and I'm not going to do that. But even if I'm an emotional type, I, I think there will ne- – I can't imagine ever going to a game that's better than the one I covered Saturday night. And, I mean, I'm going to go to the Final Four and I'm going to, you know, just – it'll be in a completely different experience, you know. All these NCAA tournament games, they feel the same. This is not going to feel that way. Um from a professional standpoint, I'll never go to a game that's better than that one. And maybe maybe somewhere down the line I'll have some game that will get in the discussion. But, dude, I, I it's never going to happen. And that's really interesting to me um, for a variety of reasons. But the thing I think that will always stand out to me is going on the court and watching the kids – getting excited for Tony, getting excited for Jason, getting excited for the guys around them. I, I'm in an interesting position in terms of media because I know these kids before they get on grounds, right? I remember talking to Ty Jerome about his hips. I remember talking to Kyle Guy. I remember pulling over on 64. I forget where I was coming from. But I remember interviewing him on the side of the road, and, he's, and he made the – and I, I'm not going to get the wording right. Something about that – that uh, with Tony as his coach, he could touch greatness or something like that. Um, I remember you know, all of the ins and outs of Mamadi Diakite's recruitment. You know, I remember hanging out with hanging out in JPJ the day of elite camp. Mamadi's there. He's in the he's in the office with Tony. Jason's in the office, and everybody is is just assuming that they're going to come out and Mamadi's will have committed because they were going to call the dad wherever he was in the world, and they were going to have a conversation and. He didn't commit for like another eleven months, dude. Like it was, it was one of the weirdest recruitments ever, right? I remember so many of these little anecdotes about these kids, and now to see them grown up, some of them probably going to make NBA decisions soon. And so it's not just that, like, this is the program I grew up following as a kid. It's not just that this is my job, but I know these dudes. You know what I mean? Like, it's they're they're not just people who play for the team to me. And so to watch them have that success after watching them just struggle with last year and everything they had to go through. I can't even put it into words. I mean, I, 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 I write for a living and I have no idea how to explain how it felt. I just know that as I said in the column, I'm just really glad I got to have that feeling again because for that brief moment, I thought they had won and I, to have it ripped away like that by reality. 
um, and then have it handed back to me several minutes later was pretty pretty great. And um, I know for a lot of Virginia fans out there, you had a, a multitude of reactions, a lot of emotion. Um, it's okay to feel that way, and, and no matter what happens next. It's funny, in college basketball, the, the Final Four is the thing, but how many Final Fours have you been to? You know, that's the thing. College football, you got to win championships. Nobody cares about that you played in the Sugar Bowl and blah, blah, blah. No, no. College basketball, how many Final Fours have you been to? In Virginia, Tony Bennett, they've been to one, regardless of what happens Thursday and, and, and beyond. Um, I want to put a pin in it there and say that we will get back to you on probably Friday morning, it looks like. We'll have a pod or maybe Friday sometime. And I'm not sure if it'll be Friday morning specifically. Uh, yes, we it, should probably start looking up Auburn. Yeah, we, yeah. Now's the part where we turned the page, right? They, the team had the had the day to celebrate yesterday. Um, if you are someone who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up: Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your shows. Give us a rating or review; always helps to get us out in front of more people. If you are someone who's found the pod, hasn't given us a look at the site, check us out, calfscorner.com. We're about to go to the Final Four, so now would be a great time. Um, right now, you can check out our video from after the game where I caught up with Mamadi Diakite and Kihei Clark to talk about the play. Um, also got some video up of Jason Williford, longtime you know, Wahoo for life. You know, Wasn't able to get there as a player. It's been a driving force in his life ever since. Talking about getting to the Final Four and everything that came with it. Uh, I mentioned the column earlier about the emotions of the moment and everything uh, that came with it. Um, seems to have gotten a pretty decent response. Um, and if you want some non-basketball content, by the time you listen to this, you probably have watched some video. Jordan Redman, nose tackle, talking about his first year at UVA and the experience he got last season. Uh, so give that a look as well. We'll be back later in the week with a lot more stuff uh, from Minneapolis. Ferber gets there. You get there Friday? Friday? Friday night? Friday night. Okay. So he'll be well, there for. I don't, get there. I don't get there Friday night. Right, you get, get somewhere to, close to Yeah, there. that's right. You get somewhere close. We can't, can't, can't uh, jeopardize his OPSEC uh, to tell you where he'll be. Um, but he will be he will be there. I'll have you covered for media day on Thursday and Friday. I mean, this is two di- two days of media day. It's crazy. Um, so again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I also want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time as always. I very much appreciate it. And we will talk to you again from Minneapolis and at the Final Four. God, that's so that's so cool. For David Spence, Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon. <laughs>